Father, we just come to you, Father. We just want to thank you once again for today. Thank you for the rains. Thank you, Father. The drought is over. But, Father, I pray, Father, every day, Lord, we need the rain of your Holy Spirit. Otherwise, inside we will go dry, Father. Seasonal rain is not enough for the Spirit, Lord. The dew of the Holy Spirit, the showers of the Holy Spirit, has to be there continuous in our life, Lord. We may not be even conscious we are drying away, Father. So even tonight, Father, we pray, Spirit of God, that you would touch us. As we look into your word, Father, that you would speak to us. Teach us, Lord. Teach us. Let there be your light released into our life and into our situations. And give us the power and the strength to make corrections as you lead, Father. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We'll turn to the book of Kings. Second Kings. Chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6. Everybody can hear, right? Okay. Chapter 6. We'll just read like we uh, saw on the anniversary Sunday. Uh, just seven verses. Yeah. The company of prophets. Okay. Or the sons of the prophets. Your other translation will say. Said to Elisha. Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to Jordan, where each of us can get a pole or a beam. And let us build a place there for us to live. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. And they went to Jordan and began to cut down the trees. And as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe had fell into the water. Alas, O oh my Lord, he cried out, it was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. The seven verses, like we looked that day from Mark chapter 4, seven verses, or five verses, or six verses. Maybe we'll look at six verses today, if time permits. This seven verses are often overlooked because we are fascinated by chapter 5, Naman the leper coming in and all that. In chapter 6, of course, is talking about the siege and seeing into the supernatural. Remember when Elisha opens his servant's eyes. But in between these major events, you have what you call the interlude over there. Something actually is not connected with the major narrative, either about Naman or the Syrians coming to take Elisha. But if you look at your uh, Bible, if you have your Bibles open at that place, chapter 6, verse 1, If you before you go there, if you look at chapter 5 and verse 27. Okay, I like the Sunday and the Wednesday difference. Sundays you have the screen, the words coming, and Wednesdays you have to have your Bibles with you. 
Okay, so we move to the modern age and go back to the old days, both, okay? Naman's leprosy will cling to you and to your dissonance forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and he was leprous as white as snow. Okay, that's how chapter 5 ends. That's how chapter 5 ends. Keep, keep always this context, how one chapter ends the other chapter begins because these are all narratives as the Holy Spirit fixed it, not as man fixed it. You see, in the gospel according to, sorry, the epistle according to John, the Holy Spirit through the, uh, through Apostle John will tell what everybody, every human being after Adam and Eve sinned, the old nature come. We all struggle primarily, it is put in three brackets. One is the lust of the flesh. The other is the lust of the eyes, and the other is the pride of life. That's the old man, the fallen man, that flesh that came alive. Flesh is a spiritual entity. Flesh is not your body. Okay? Flesh is a spiritual entity which came into being. And remember, the world is made for the flesh. They're made for each other. It was the lust of the flesh that caused Gehazi to desire I hope you understand, you know the story of Gahasi, right? Everybody knows except the children. Everybody knows the story of Gahasi. It was the lust of the flesh that caused Gahasi to desire the comforts, the ease, the luxury of the silver which Elisha rejected. Okay. Elisha rejected the offer made by Naman. Gehazi lusted what that money could bring. Okay, that was the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes was that caused him to covet both the silver, the talent of silver, and the clothes, the clothing. Because remember, those days and these days, people lust after clothing or fashionable clothing. Okay? And it was the pride of life that caused him to think, that he was smarter than Elisha. He thought, okay, this old guy doesn't know how to move in the, the new crowd. Okay. He thought, you know, I need to, I need to be one up on him. So you need to realize these three was there. And what happened was that brought him down. That brought him down. And scripture records in the last verse of chapter five, Gehazi went from his presence. Okay. White leprous as snow. And then, what is interesting, if you read chapter 6, verse 1, if you read chapter 6, verse 1, okay, in your version, read it. Pastor Vijay, loud voice, yes. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, hmm? see, the place where we are dwelling under your charge is too small for us. Okay, it's interesting, right? That's not how would we think. Let's imagine 50 sons of prophets. Just imagine the number has 50 because you know when Elisha started at every place, Elijah go, there were 50 sons of prophet. So let's imagine the 50 sons of prophet and Elisha and his main servant Gehazi. Now, all of you will live in like hostile kind of situations. When one person goes, don't you have more room? Right? You have more room, right? But that's not how the narrative reads. One man goes and they realize they have less room. You have to understand what God is trying to tell us. Okay? 
This is the continuous spiritual principle right from the book of Genesis. What is the principle? Until flesh departs, we are not aware of our real spiritual condition. Unless flesh departs, we will never be aware. We will never be aware our desire for spiritual growth. Flesh and the spirit are always in conflict. So unless flesh desires, we won't look up. We won't realize, oh my gosh, so much time has gone by and I have really haven't grown in the knowledge of God. We won't realize. As long as flesh is there, we will be content. And as long as flesh is there, we will be content with our spiritual condition. As long as flesh is there, we will not long to grow up with God. We will not. And we see this continuous in the Bible. See, until Terah dies, Abraham is not even aware he needs to go to the promised land. And God is not even able to speak to him. Speak to him. Because Terah represents the first stage of flesh in Abraham's life. Until Lot leaves, Abraham is not even able to understand, I've been around for almost 10 years, and I don't even know my purpose in the kingdom of God. Because Lot represents the second stage of flesh in his life. In Genesis 21, you will see it is after after Ishmael lives, the final stage of flesh in Abraham's life. After Ishmael lives, you will say both Abimelech and Fikol, his general, come to make peace with Abraham. Because flesh is completely dead and the world realizes you can't do anything with this man. You will say Isaiah's narrative in, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, the prophet Isaiah's narrative in the book of Isaiah when Uzziah died. I see the heavens open. Okay? You will see with the children of Israel, the second generation, when they come into the promised land, after the flesh is cut out at Gilgal, they are circumcised, meaning the flesh is cut off. You will see they eat the produce of the land and manna ceases. They are ready to move to the next level. Okay? Now, whether you understand it or not, the thing is that until flesh continuously die, none of us will grow further with God. We'll gather knowledge, but spiritually we'll be exactly where we are as the children of Israel, the first generation was in the desert. They did not move one inch further with God. Okay, And that's the lesson God is teaching us here. Gehazi, who should have been the next prophet. Actually, if you look at it, Elisha asked for the double portion of Elijah's spirit. Gehazi should have asked for the double portion of Elisha's spirit. Instead, he just walks away, walks away leprous. And as soon as he left, you will see the other sons of prophet are able to realize we have space for growth. There is space to grow over here. Okay. When Judas leaves, in the gospel according to John, you will see as long, when, as soon as Judas leaves, the disciples Jesus realized are ready for deeper revelations. And the deepest revelations of Jesus teaching to the disciples happens only after Judas leaves. 
The problem here is many, many, many Christians are not even uncomfortable nor aware of their lack of spiritual progress because flesh has not been destroyed or dealt with. Spiritual progress, you look at our prayer life, our word life, our faith life, and our work life. Is it still where it is? Has it grown deeper? Or are we aware? Is there an awareness? You know what? We are still where we are. And there is not enough room. But when Gehasi leaves, Gehasi Actually, it's interesting. Gehasi represents the flesh in the spiritual man, not the carnal man. The flesh in the spiritual man that longs for the world. The carnal man has no issues like that, okay? Because he's in the world, of the world, for the world. But the flesh in us is what is dangerous. Gehasi in us, what is dangerous? That's the flesh in the spiritual man who longs for the world. But yet he is called of God and is following God. Once Gahasi leaves, our eyes will actually open to a spiritual reality. That is, we need to grow. And there is always room for growth for the spiritual man. And the spiritual man will realize there is more space required. Now, if you come to verse 2, please read verse 2, one person. Let us go to the Jordan. And each of us get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. So the request is, please, the space is too little. Let us go. Let us go and what shall we do? Let us make a place for us. And let, let us make a place for us. Let us each get a log. Let us each get a log, a tree, a beam. Okay? This is how the house of God is built. This is how the kingdom of God grows. Every man, every woman has to cut their log. Every man, every woman has to do their part. It's not left to a few individuals. Everybody is called to do something in the kingdom of God. Every man, every man, every woman who is part of the kingdom of God, even a child that is born again, you will see the child Samuel ministered before the Lord under a lie. Even he realizes, yes, Hepzibah, even he realizes there is something he has to do. Every man. Remember, they are called sons of prophets. Sons of prophets, okay? Or company of prophets. You need to realize that title actually applies to us because the new covenant entirely is prophetic. Is prophetic. Everyone is called to be prophetic because our work, our life is pointing to the future that is the kingdom of God that is coming. Kingdom of God is coming. Abraham's life was so prophetic that all the Gentiles around this man and his God was different. Yet Lot with the same call did not have the same purpose. So when he talked about the prophetic that is coming, even his own sons-in-law laughed. Because the prophetic was missing in his life. The way you live, the way you work, the way you carry yourself, 
in the new covenant is prophetic because we are not of the world. We are looking forward to something that is coming and rapidly approaching. So the people around shouldn't laugh at us, should be convicted by us. And that's what God is talking about. Everybody, everybody has something to do. And the sons of prophet, the one who addressed Elisha said, let each one, everyone. And if you look at it, they're just called sons of prophets. There's no name recognition. There's no names mentioned. Just to be faithful in doing your individual task. Actually, there was only one whose name is mentioned. That was Gehazi. And his name is mentioned because he was after the world. The spiritual man who is after the world, the spiritual man who is after the kingdom, does not need spiritual um, name recognition. He knows he's got a work to do. He's got something to do. When it is done, there is a day when you and I will be recognized or not recognized. Please also remember, if you don't cut your beam, your log, your tree, the, the work of the kingdom will not cease. God will find somebody who will do your work too. And in the book of Revelation, to the letters to the churches, he warns certain churches about that. You don't do your work, somebody else will do it. The problem is, he will get your crown too. And you will be crownless. So the whole idea is, we work now, we don't need name recognition. We work now. The reward is later. The reward is not now. And if you know the parable of the talent... The, the lazy servant who did not use what God said is take his talent and give it to somebody else. So remember the second lesson we learned from here is everybody is asked to cut your bee. So Elisha is a type of Christ over here. So when this one son of the prophets asks, Lord, shall we go? Can we please go cut? What does Elisha say? He says, go. You see, God is always interested in our spiritual growth. Always. The call of God throughout the Bible is come either, come either, come either. You will realize that when Abraham moved into the promised land, as soon as he moved into the promised land, it was God who came and met him. God who came and met him. And if God is not meeting us, it's because we are not moving spiritually. We are not interested. If you honestly, it has to be repeated over and over again in yesterday's uh, pastor's conference and at Sunday's message, Saturday's pastor's conference. All our requests, 99% is connected with this world and not connected with God. Therefore, God is not able to meet us personally. He meets our needs, but that he meets everybody's. But it's not, we are not encountering the living God as a person. So when he says there is no room for us, let us make room. Shall we go cut the beam? Elisha says go. And God will say, will say come. Jesus will say come. Okay, if you look at it, there are seven or eight comes of Jesus Christ. Eight. Starting with come, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come, drink. And you will see at the end, John chapter 21, the last one. Did you catch anything? No. Come and eat. I have prepared for you. When they're tired in the ministry, he says, come, let us go aside from the crowds. You will see, it's a call of God. God is interested. 
But the point is, will you be that son or daughter of the prophet who will be inside, in, interested and say, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? That's the question. Yesterday we were there for a pastor's conference. And uh, there was um, the pastor's daughter, actually his adopted daughter, his daughter was there and she's doing her plus two. I said, you have no college? She said, yes. You didn't go? She said, no. I said, good job. So I said, your father has a pastor's conference. He said, I'm going for the meeting. I'm not going to college. I said, good job. Okay. Do you see the difference? See the difference? I'm not saying if every day is a pastor's conference, you should miss class. I'm not saying that. But it doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen every day. You make your choices. Very clearly make your choices. What God's children actually do is neither they go to college nor do they go to pastor's conference. Just sit down and do nothing or watch TV. But we don't realize we are making choices that will be eternal, eternal choices. And that's what scripture is talking about. What does Elisha say? Go. When we want to grow, God is interested. God is always interested. When we want to be useful for God, God is always interested. So age is not a factor. God, Samuel could be useful for God at a young age. Moses could be useful for God till 120. Ages. You want to be useful? God says, I am there for you. Then look at verse 3. Yes. Then one of them said, be pleased to go with your servants. And he one of them said, it's okay. The school of prophets are all different. All are different. One said, there is no space. Can we go? And Elisha said, go. Another one was different. Or maybe it's the same one. We don't know. Another one said, okay. The problem is, when you hear, go, everybody runs off. They go. One said, will you come along? Will you come along? Remember Sunday sermon? Anniversary Sunday sermon? Jesus said, let go. Bible says there were many boats. And the disciples took him in their boat. And I told, you don't take him in your boat. There are, remember, there are other boats. So they could have gone. If this man hadn't asked, if there were 49, this one man hadn't asked, all 50 of them have gone without Elisha. And something is going to happen over there which is going to change the lives of tens and thousands of believers down the ages, especially servants of God. The seven verses have changed the destiny of servants of God for the past 2000 plus years. Because one man said, will you go with us? Because they took Jesus in the boat when the storm stuck. They woke up Jesus. He spoke to the storm. The storm was still. Like I said, there were multitudes on the ground. Many boats. And Jesus in one boat. The storm stilled for everybody. But only one boat of set of people had a personal testimony and experience to know why the storm stilled. Are you getting it? One man said, Will you go? And Elisha said, yes. The question is, will you ask Jesus to come along every day? I know we repeat this prayer when we pray, but I'm asking it, is it really, really true in each one of our lives? And it can be something as mundane as cutting. Why do you need a prophet to cut a tree? Why do you need to take Jesus to go to school? 
Why do you need to invite Jesus to come along as a go to work? But do you invite him? Do you ask him to come along? As or as a mother, do you ask Jesus, Lord, I need to cook today? You may be the best cook in the world. But the day you chose, I'm telling you real experiences, you chose to invite Jesus to the kitchen. Because you invited Jesus to the kitchen, I'm talking about real stories, was the day when you felt the Holy Spirit move you to the front room and the entire pressure cooker blasted and hit the roof and you escaped and your child escaped because that day you invited him into the kitchen. Okay. A simple thing as that, Lord, will you come along? Will you come along? You look at it over there. This is spiritual truth. Why do you need a prophet like Elisha who raises the sick from the dead, who parts rivers? You're going to cut wood. Why do you need to call him? We don't think about it like, no. it doesn't matter how good we are or whether we can do it or not. Jesus won't force himself upon us. Every day we have to invite him. That's what we see his final words to the church in Laodicea. He knocks. He can break the doors open if he wants. He can barge into anybody's life because all earth and its fullness belongs to him and everybody belongs to him. He doesn't need to ask permission, but he does. So it is our duty to invite him. And it doesn't matter how good you are. And yesterday I was telling the pastor, it doesn't matter whether you have 25 years of ministry experience. It is irrelevant. Every day is a new day and you need to call him back and say, Lord, come with me. Go with me. Go before me. Everyone, go with me, go before me. It's as simple as that. And that's what is happening over there. They took him along. Will you come along? Or we can do in our own strength. Our own strength. Or we can ask Jesus to come along. That's what Moses said, right? Moses said, the smartest guy living on earth, secular education wise, ask God, will you teach me your ways? Will you come along with me? And God said, I like your prayer. I like it. Now, what is he going to do actually? His primary task, if you look at the primary task is, he has to lead a set of people through the wilderness. And if you ask Moses, what is your qualification for the first 40 years of life? All the wisdom, knowledge of Egypt. What's your second qualification of the next 40 years? Traveling in the wilderness. Both ways I am the most qualified in this crowd. But what does he say? Will you teach me? Will you help me? Will you take me along? And you know what God says? My presence shall go with you. I'll go with you. And you shall have rest. It's exactly what Jesus, like after Judas left, the deep teachings of Jesus to his disciples is, without me you can do nothing. Without me you can do. I want you to turn to First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. For we are God's Slowly, slowly, okay? Okay. We are God's co-workers. We are God's co-workers. You are God's field. We are God's field. You are God's building. Building. Did you see that? Three things I mentioned. Co-worker, field, Building. And God is attached to all three. God is attached to all three. You are God's co-workers. You are God's building, field. You are God's 
So God says, I want you to be, in, I want you to invite me and I want to be intimately be involved in your work, in your life, in your construction. I am your co-worker. You are my field. You are my building. I want to be intimately involved in everything that you do, but invite me. Invite me. That's what he's asking. God is always looking for a man, a woman, a child who will invite him and say, Lord, come Lord. I want you to be intimately be connected to my life. Every area, every part of my life. Will you be Lord? Will you please come and be invited? Come, Lord. Come to verse 4. So he went with them. Okay, he, see, as soon as he invited the prophet, he will say, no, I am a prophet. I have double portion of my spirit. What are you calling me for such a simple thing like cutting wood? Jesus is not like that. It doesn't matter whether a child is inviting him to come to the playpen to play along. Or a senior man like Moses is asking, Lord, two million people, how do I guide them? He will go with both. He will go with both. Elisha goes with both. And then? Uh, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. What did they do? When they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. Uh, that's not what we want. If we take Jesus along, we want Jesus to do magic. Lord Jesus, you are, we will be very, we will not glorify him, we will flatter him. We'll say, Lord, you're all powerful, almighty, everything, all things are possible with thee, Lord. Why don't you bring the trees down? That's how you flatter him. No, we don't study the entire academic year and then exams comes with, Lord, we know all things are possible with thee, Lord. And all things are possible with those who believe. I believe you can give me a rank. Because we don't want to cut down the tree which involves labor. Which involves labor. That's what the Bible is talking about. Hard work, labor. And who are these? Sons of prophets. To build the house. Hard work, labor. So it doesn't matter whether it is ministry or the world. God says there is something called hard work. Hard work. You know the problem is, no. People want a great home. But they don't want to work for it. People want a wonderful family, but they don't want to work for it. They want a fantastic church, but they don't want to work for it. They want incredible children, successful children, but they don't want to work for it. So they expect a miracle. Usually in life, those kind of miracles don't happen. There is something called hard work, labor involved. Okay? Now, unlike the world... We have this incredible freedom, liberty, which only God can give. The liberty is this. The world has to work hard and also produce the desired result. Both is in the hands of the world. Not for the child of God. Child of God, it is different. You have to read the word of God carefully. The child of God is different. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. We are only called to do the labor and leave the result in his hands. I planted. I planted. Apollo's water. Apollo's water. The planting is difficult work. Watering is difficult, long drawn out work. But God gave the increase. 
we cannot increase. Success is not in our hands. That is in God's sense. Success is in God's sense. Increase is in God's sense. And then? So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Anything. But only God who gives the growth. So don't boast about your work. Boast about your work. Okay, boast about your work. Because the problem about people in the world who boast about their work, like today I had a foreword from somebody. It was about Sonia Newal, I think. At 7th, she finished class 10. At 8, she finished 12. At uh, 10, she finished undergraduation. And then at 12 or 13, she finished post-graduation. At 15, she registered for PhD. And she also was a national champion. And this and that. And so many. I was listening to it. And it was a Christian who forwarded it. But through it all, it was I, 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 I. And we need to realize real success has to be here and there. That's real success. If you are really successful, even if nothing is shown here, if you carry it on to the other side, you are successful. That's why Jesus says, your works will be tested with fire. What you work, do will be tested with fire. So it doesn't matter what you are on earth. The question is, are you eternally successful? So that's what the Bible says. The one who plants, no, the one who is nothing. God is everything. But I want you to read the verse 9. The 8, 8. He who, he who plants and he who waters are one. Are one. Mm. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. Ah. Each one will receive his wages according to his result. No. Labor. No. No. Not according to your that's why I always keep telling you young people, work hard, work hard. Don't worry about your marks. You have to prove to God, I'm a faithful, hard-working person. That's the key. The world will evaluate you by marks and pay grade and success and all those things. Not God. God will only evaluate by how you work, how hard you work, how ethically you work. He wants that. Each one will be rewarded according to his labor. labor. That's not what happens in the world. In the world, what does your company say? Produce or perish. <laughs> we don't care how it... Ma- no, I actually changed it. Because in the academic world we lived, we all lived in, it is publish or perish. When you go for your interview for a lecture or this thing, the first thing, do you have a PhD? Yes. Second, how many publications? When everything is equal, because everybody who applies has got a net, in a, not neat net, and a PhD, then they look at how many publications. Okay, Vijay has 10, I have 10. In which journals is his published, which journals are mine? He says international, mine is national, he gets it. Publish or perish. Everything is evaluated that way in the world. Not in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is labor. How did you labor? Did you work hard? Were you ethical? Did you love when you labored? That's why God says, I will not forget your labor of love. Through it all, did you love your colleagues? Did you pray for your colleagues? Did you love the children you took care of? Did you love the students you taught? That's what you will ask. So, in God's kingdom, evaluation is different. 
So though we are evaluated in our secular world by parameters of the world, don't take it to heart. Understand and receive the principle of God's word. And to pastors, like yesterday, Saturday, one of the things I have to constantly tell pastors is, we are called to study, work hard with the word of God. Lord, I'm going to sit in my easy chair and I'm believing for a revelation. God says, open your book and sit and study. And once I know you're working hard, I will give you your revelation. You know, Jonathan Edwards and all, famous guys. These guys work 13 hours a day. These were the actual shakers and movers of God's kingdom. John Wesley in his 80s, if he slept more than 4 or 5 hours, he got up and ran to God repenting, I wasted my time in this lifetime. Because he knows time is very little, I have to redeem my time and I have to prove myself to my God, you can trust me in my 80s. Okay. Now, we are not running a race here. We are running a race beyond here. And these are the principles God's word is talking about. The sons of prophet are there. And Elisha stood there. He didn't do anything. A man who could part the river Jordan. A man who could do almost anything. After Moses, I don't think there's anybody in the Old Testament who was supernaturally empowered like Elisha was. That's an intervene. He says, work hard. Good job. Cut. Use your strength. Work hard. You need to cut the wood down. And our issue is this. We make excuses. We make excuses. There are no excuses. I told pastors yesterday, no excuses. Why do you preach only once? Why don't you study? Oh no, my back hurts. Just stand and read your Bible. Stand and read your Bible. If your back hurts. If the Chinese underground church can be reading their Bibles every time on their knees, we can stand and read. Don't make excuses. Oh, my BP is high. My BP is low. Now, how many excuses? People make excuses and God will say, my son hanging on the cross still knew he had a work to finish. Let me get some, at least one guy, let me see. The two guys at hearing space, distance. Let me see if I can get one in. Get one in. Had a work to finish. And we make excuses. And God does not accept excuses in the kingdom of God. You may get away in this world, but you will not get away with God. Because God will demand one day. Scripture says, everyone will stand before God and give an answer as to what did you do? What did you do? Okay? So please, understand. Okay, let's go back. And read the next verse. But... But as one was felling a log, his axe had fell into the water and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Thank God, right? Thank God. There is really a thank God there for all of us. Spiritual lesson. Thank God he lost his axe head when he was working and not like half the people who lost it when they were sleeping. Samson lost his anointing when he was sleeping. David stumbled and fell when he was playing. They did not lose when they were working. It's better to lose your accent at your point where you are supposed to be working hard and you lost it. Not when you were playing. Not when you were spiritually sleeping. He lost it. Thank God he lost it when he was working. 
you are walking understand fundamental principles there are principles in god's kingdom what he lost was the accent your accent is your gift it's your anointing it's your cutting edge it's your usefulness particular usefulness in god's kingdom if you lose that you're useless as soon as the anointing left samson was just like any other israelite he was destined to deliver but the accent was gone he couldn't even deliver himself that was his destiny he couldn't even deliver himself please remember this the bible is very very clear and god he lost his accent when he was working when he was working not when he was sleeping because scripture says samson did not even know the anointing was gone why he was sleeping he had been sleeping for a long time did not even know did not even know thank god he lost it when he was working now if you come to ecclesiastic chapter 10 and verse 10 mark it young people in your bible okay whenever you come to bible study and you can read you have your bible i'll tell you invest in a marker invest in a marker okay you write notes also but invest in a marker write notes in your diary and mark your bible with a marker because in life you will realize those marked ones with those certain times in your life where god spoke to you yes if the iron is blunt if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge one does not sharpen its edge he must use more strength you must use more strength but wisdom helps one to succeed if the edge is blunt if the axe head is not sharp you know what you will have to use more strength if your knife let's forget axe because i don't think none of you boys may know only must have heard about axe effect they don't know what an axe is <laughs> okay <laughs> but let's talk about a knife if you want to cut something your knife needs to be sharp if the axe head or the knife edge is is blunt even if it is a knife or whether it is an axe it has two components one component is the axe the other is the handle other is the handle here it is talking about the edge when we lose our edge our sharpness spiritual sharpness how do we lose our spiritual sharpness to understand how you lose your spiritual sharpness first you need to realize how do you become spiritually sharp because every axe was once upon a time a piece of iron it didn't automatically become sharp the blacksmith put it through a process and made it sharp so how do you sharpen and keep yourself sharp the book of proverbs in chapter 27 and verse 17 will say like iron sharpens iron a iron sharpens iron whenever you had to sharpen your knife kitchen knife mothers did you go to the wood and sharpen it <laughs> oh no i feel so gentle let me sharpen it on wax you sharpen it on wax no either you sharpen old days on a stone hard flint it was called a flint sharpen it or iron two knives 
The fellow who comes on that cycle with that no sparks will fly. What is he doing? He's sharpening. Iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. Point is, if you want to be spiritually sharpened, you have to choose your company. You have to choose your company. Otherwise, you will not. Today, it's much more easier because we have what is called media available. You choose who you are going to listen to. You choose who you are going to listen to. I make, I know Pastor Vijay does, we do. We are very careful because we know we have limited time to study. Who we listen to. We don't listen to these, uh, what do you call it, sloppy preachers. We don't even listen to preachers we think are similar to us. We listen to preachers we think, we use the American term, who are above my pay grade. Above my pay grade. Meaning we listen to people you know are up there. That's why I know many of you struggle with the evening devotion. <laughs> Spurgeon. I, I, I don't just admire Spurgeon. I admire Spurgeon's congregation. But that's how we preached his congregation and people used to gather to listen. I admire his congregation. If his congregation could understand what he was preaching, what is the level of the congregation? Level of the congregation. Okay? So I'm talking, you want to be spiritually sharp, you choose who you listen to. You pick up jokers on internet, your life will become a joke. You choose your company. You choose your company. And second, when you choose your company, like I said, you choose company which are always above you. Be like Elisha. Cling to them. Cling to them. Elisha clung to Elijah. From the time Elijah came and put that mantle over him, until the last day Elijah is leaving, you don't see Elisha speaking. You don't see? You don't see? Young people, learn to listen and not talk. Learn to listen. Learn to listen, not talk. Because there are so many saints that have gone ahead of us, around us, far ahead of us. Be silent in their presence. Listen to them. Listen to their messages. Instead of talk, 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 talk. Listen. That's how iron sharpens iron. Listen. Learn to listen. Because you have no clue what is happening to your spirit as you listen to these people. What is happening to you? Your spirit is becoming sharpened. So that the sharpening of the spirit is, one of the sharpening of the spirit is, it is discernment comes. The minute you hear somebody on, you know this guy is false. You know this guy is not true. Because your spirit has been sensitized by iron. Because the only thing Jesus actually warns us about the last day is about deception and nothing else. Wars will come, pestilence will come, famines will come, earthquake. This has been there from the beginning. You don't worry about these things. But he says, one thing you need to prepare and guard yourself. What is that? Deception. And the issue with deception is, how do you guard yourself? Iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. And that's what you are seeing. Elisha 
followed Elijah. Joshua followed Moses. The disciples followed Jesus and they looked at his sharpness. They understood the reason for his sharpness and they are telling, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like you. Yes, that's basically what they say. We know where your strength comes from. Teach us to pray. Now, where did Jesus' sharpness come? Because he looked around. There's only one iron. That's not below. That's above. So every morning, early in the morning, he went to his father and sharpened iron with iron and came back sharp. Every morning. He sharpened himself with his father. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Choose to listen. Choose to listen. Choose to listen. The problem is if we don't be careful about what we listen to and how we listen to, the problem is we'll allow our flesh to go and we'll choose always fleshly carnal company. Carnal company. Choose company. And we will not even realize you may think you're having fellowship, but that fellowship is not sharpening you at all. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. We should have little seasons of good entertainment, clean entertainment. But if life is all an entertainment, you were never trained. Training and entertaining is just one enter is there like enter the dragon. Enter training. You know what has happened finally? The devil has successfully raised up a generation who don't read. They're on to media. The problem with media is media can be controlled. Now we hear the congressional hearings and all the things that are coming out of Google executives. We don't care because Google is a private enterprise. It's very difficult for Congress to control it. So they're saying we will control speech. We will censor. We will see what reaches the people. What we think is right only will reach the people. Suddenly you will have an entire millennial generation who will think Believe and react exactly what the Antichrist wants you to. Because you don't read. Because you don't read. Because you don't read. In 1520, Jesus tarries to come. In another 15, 20 years, if things don't change the way media is going, I believe all the conservative sites, all the conservative speakers, everybody will, everybody will be removed from Google, YouTube. Social media, everybody will be removed. And the ones who had the discipline to read will survive. Will survive. Because they cannot come and take books away. They will do that too. But by then those ideas should have been in our heads. We know how to think. Choose your company carefully. Because iron sharpens iron. And remember, there are three primary things, all important. I will put them in like equal share I will give you. Or let's say 40, 40, 20. Prayer, that is fellowship with God. I call prayer as fellowship with God. Word, studying, meditating upon the word has understanding the ways of God and fellowship with the company of believers. These three are primary to keep yourself sharp. There's no other way. If you have lost your bluntness, your, sorry, your sharpness have become blunt, check these three. Yes, I'm praying. Okay? Yes, 
I read the word. But you don't fellowship. You don't fellowship. Still, you are blunt. Because it is in fellowship iron sharpens iron. You don't fellowship. You don't fellowship. Or you read the, you don't pray, you read the word, and you love fellowship. You're still not sharp. You need to balance these three. These three. Because this has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. Let me ask you people. Those who are very good in worldly things. How did they become very good in worldly things? It's because of their worldly fellowship. Because of their worldly fellowship. All the boys who know every score of the World Cup is going on. Because that's what they watch. That's what they talk. Every movie that has come out. Right? That's what they fellowship. Ladies, every latest fashion that has come out, that's what they fellowship. Please understand this. Do not lose your cutting edge. What does the Bible say? If the edge is blunt, you will have to labor more, strength more, more, more time, more money, more effort, more energy is wasted because you are blunt. Let us imagine. Let us imagine, uh, I'll not pick on Siri, I'll pick on Sarah. Sarah is there. Sarah is very sharp, okay? But imagine Sarah is not sharp. The parents are not interested in her reading, writing, speaking, nothing. Then suddenly they wake up when she's 12 years old. Because they did not train her for the first 12 years. At 12, they suddenly realize, oh, education is very important. Now, what do they have to do? Morning tuition, afternoon between lunch break tuition, evening tuition, wake up early in the morning tuition, along with milk tuition. Why? You are spending so much energy, time, money, resources, because the edge is That is what practically happens in the world. Resources are being wasted because edges are blunt. Because people are not doing what they are supposed to do. That's what they say about India, no? How many men do you need to change a bulb? They say four or five. First to give the order. Second fellow to go buy it. Third fellow to hold the ladder. Fourth fellow to climb. Fifth fellow to hand the bulb that has fused. One fellow can do all of this. You know in, in India why public sector companies always run in loss? It's because edges are blunt. And if something happens in those companies, it's because there are some sharp edges there. They do all the work. And don't be a blunt instrument, either in the world or in the kingdom. Because scripture is very clear, if you are blunt, you will end up using more and more and more and more resources. In this case, scripture says, the axe head flew off. What flew off? Axe head flew off. There can be two ways in which an axe head can fly off. Okay, fly off. Two ways. One is because the axe edge is blunt. No, anybody here, I don't think there's anybody here other than me who's cut wood with an axe. I've done it all. Because of the way I grew up, I've done it all. Okay? 
So I know what axis, how X has to be used, how X has to be held, how it has to be cut if it has to be effective. So this is not story for me. I understand it well. The problem is if the axis is sharp and if the handle is loose, when you swing it, even if the handle comes off because the sharp is edge, it will bite into the wood and stay there. It won't fly off. The handle is loose. You will be holding the handle, but the axis is in the wood. But if the axis is blunt and the handle is loose, it goes flying. But here, the, I believe the handle was loose. It's loose. The question is, how firmly are we attached to the handle? How firmly are we attached to the word of God? Accent can come off. Everybody's accent has come off once. You need to understand this is why we have terms in English. Many, many terms in English are biblical. You know, if let us say Srikanth uh, loses his temper. And um, Sapna calls me and says, you know what, Pastor Srikanth shouted at me. What happened? What made him fly off the handle? That's exactly comes from First Kings, sorry, Second Kings chapter 6. Fly off the handle means you lose control. It went off the handle. Why? Because we were not connected firm. How firmly are we connected to the word of God? Or do we play fast and loose with the word of God? Samson flew off the handle. But he could be restored at the end. David flew off the handle a couple of times. But he could be restored. Saul flew off the handle. He could never be restored. Because never at any point in his life was he firmly attached. So the question God is asking us is, how firmly are we attached? Like I said, Samson, Saul, Gehazi, all flew off the handle. Little Samuel from the beginning till the end was firmly attached. Firmly attached. God is asking, are you firmly attached to the word? Or are you firmly attached to the world? If you are attached to the world, until you are detached, the word is not going to work in anybody's life. It's not going to work in anybody's life. Do you know how you keep it attached? Do you know how you keep it attached? You take, the, the axe handle is like narrower down and very smooth and broader at the top where the axe is attached. Will, I'll tell you what those who use the axe do every day. When you take your axe or your uh, spade, okay, all similar, first thing you check is whether it is loose or tight. Okay. One of the ways you do it is you always will hit it on the ground. To see it is firm. Okay. Sometimes what we do is that portion that is little up, we take a knife and we split it. Split a lid and drive a wedge in carefully because if you drive the wedge in too much, the whole thing will split. Okay. But the usual way you do every day is that you hit the handle, top that part in to see it is firm. 
one of the way god keeps his people fit to their gift their usefulness he breaks them daily that's why if you see the top of an axe it is broken and splayed like this in every direction and because of that the axe head remains firmly to the handle you look at another handle wow it looks so nice the top looks smooth the bottom looks smooth the axe is shining you use it the flies off we want to be very smooth characters in the world that's why we fly off but if you look at over here if you look at how the imagery that is using if you want to be firmly attached god says that is how it is that is how it is it's not your words it's not your words words can be similar it's your life your life of following hard after god your life of constantly repentance that's what keeps you attached to god because everybody will fall if you look, if you go by words go by words i hope you remember your scripture at the first point at gilgal to jericho to jordan and all okay bethel all every time elijah tells elisha why are you following me stay here what is elisha's exact words as long as you live no no before that as long as the lord lives. lord lives what does he say as long as the lord lives what does he say as long as the lord lives and you live listen as long as the lord lives and you live i am attached to you like a clam i'm not going to leave you but it's interesting if you read bible carefully when uh, naman comes he's healed he offers elisha refuses he goes back when he goes back with his silver and his gold gehazi is running after him when gehazi is running after him do you know what gehazi says as long as the lord lives i'm not going to let go of this opportunity you know the difference between gehazi and elisha gehazi colors god with the eyes of gold because he is never yoked to elisha elisha says as long as the lord lives as the lord lives and you live i've seen him but i have understood him through you gehazi never understood either elisha's god or elisha's spirit never did so our words can be the same both of them said the same thing gehazi said the same thing elisha said the same thing as the lord lives but they were running in absolutely opposite direction one was running towards the world and gain the other was running for the double portion of the spirit words were the same so god is saying it's not your words internally inside spiritually what are you attached to gehazi was attached to gold elisha was attached to the spirit of god that's what he wanted what's that you want ask yourself this question what is that you want what is that you want what is that you want you no know, it's a very simple six seven verses we don't have time for seven verses maybe three verses or four verses or five next thing i have to tell you about an axe because being an old ancient uh, what do you call it uh, woodcutter everything i learned about all these things i learned before i was 12 i learned everything before 12 how to cut wood how to cut a chicken how to cook how to wash your own clothes how to iron your own clothes how to clean your house clean 
sweep, swap, everything I had to learn, I learned before 12. Everything. And I thank God I learned all these things. I didn't realize this will be all useful for preaching one day. Okay. So one of the things which you learn is that if you are out and you're planning to cut tomorrow, you don't leave your axe open like that. Because it will rain, dew will come. You come in the morning, there is rust on it. So what you do with the axe is when you're going back home and you're planning to come back, you take the axe and give one final sweep and leave it on the log to see the edge doesn't get rusted. You get it? The edge doesn't get rusted. You, one swing, it's deep in, and it won't get rusted. It won't get rusted. Or if you're not going to use it for a few days, you oil it and keep it. You oil it and keep it. And mothers, I'm telling you, not everybody is stainless steel today. But you want to cut really hard, you need the old iron one. I've got an old iron knife which is from Kerala. You go check it, probably it's in my house. When it was in my house, or in my office, when I kept it, I oiled it and keep it. Because you know, these things work accordingly. These are old habits which automatically come. Because you leave it like that, it will rust. And the day you need it, and you have only two minutes to cut, you can't cut because you're first take scraping the rust off. Otherwise, your children's stomach will be rusty. <laughs> you see, that's why you have in English a saying, a stitch in time saves nine. Please understand these things. Okay? These are spiritual truths. Is your sword oiled? Or is it rusted? Your knowledge of the word of God, the sword of the spirit, is it oiled? Our, our shield is faith. The shield of faith against the fiery darts of the enemy. Is it oil continuously with the Holy Spirit? Read uh, 2 Samuel one twenty one. 2 Samuel one twenty one. This is David crying after he heard Saul and Jonathan are dead. Read that one cry of his. Oh, mountains of Gilboa. Let there be no dew. Or fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled. There the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul not anointed with oil. Ah, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. oil. The shield has to be anointed. Because old days shield was, it had metal but outward. Outside was not metal. Outside was leather. Outside was leather. Because the reason for leather on the outside, old days, thick leather was, so when the arrows were shot, the leather absorbs the shock. Otherwise, it could skid and hit the next fellow. So the leather takes in the steel stops it. The problem with leather, it has to be oiled. Otherwise, it will crack. That's why we polish our shoes. But our shoes are treated leather. So God is saying, I'm giving you the shield of faith. Is it oiled? Is it oil? How's the sword of your spirit? How's your axe head? Your gift? Is it oil? Or is it rusted? That's God, that's a question God is asking. Has the shine gone? Has the shine gone? The other side of it. Has the shine gone? Because one of the worst things in ministry I actually hate is pastors, ministers, people who have no zeal. A zealous Christian is the worst thing to happen in a church. 
Everybody God can talk. He can talk to everybody else. He can talk to Ephesus. He can go to talk to Sardis. Shout at Pergamum. He can go to Smyrna. But to Laodicea, he says, either be hot or cold. Meaning, either have zeal or just get out. Don't take space. The worst thing to happen, the greatest event ever happened in human history is God becoming man, living this life, dying for us to take us to heaven. Nobody is passionate about it. Nobody is passionate about it. India playing Australia, everybody is sitting up with their eyes like that. What passion? No greater event than the cross. No greater event than salvation. No greater event than Redemption, no greater even than that day when the trumpet flows and glorification takes place. No zeal at all. Zealous Christians. Why? Shine has gone. The rust has gone. The rust has gone. That's what God is talking about. No zeal. A lot of knowledge. I'm sure everybody of you have a lot of knowledge. The question is not how much knowledge you have. Do you have zeal? Knowledge is very important. Equally as important is zeal. Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. And knowledge without zeal is useless. And that's what God is talking about. No passion. No zeal. You are a believer working in an office. No zeal. You are the only one who knows your employer is God. You are the only one to whom has been told. Do whatever you do as unto the Lord. No zeal. I'm talking about real secular places. And I'm not boasting. When I worked in the secular places in the college, the first place I went was the vice principal's room to find out who were free, who was on leave, and to see if my leave and their leave matched to give me their classes. I didn't work less. I worked more. Almost every day I took every period, including my off period, to see that I could be zealous for the Lord in the classroom. Some way or other talk to the children about a God who came and died for them. We have today what is called calm chores. No zeal at all. Though you know who your real employer is and you're working on. We are the only set of people, doesn't matter where we work, we can work to God and get a reward for it. Not the others. Others can't work like that. They have to work for their company. The company gives them promotion. And he may take a promotion also. But we work in a secular place. We never get a promotional life, but we are zealous the way we work. God says, I will promote you and put you in charge of cities because I saw your zeal. Zealous in schools, in offices, in churches. No zeal. And worship leaders have to struggle to get people to worship. Pastors have to struggle to keep congregations awake. Call people for prayer. Nobody is interested in prayer. Yet everybody wants a solution. Everybody wants a miracle. Miracle. No zeal. No zeal. You know, one of the most powerful, first, important prophecies of Jesus, temporary and eternal prophecies of Jesus is found in Isaiah 9 and verse 7. Listen to what it is said. 9, Isaiah 9 and verse 7. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Yeah, yeah, but listen to the last portion of that scripture. 9 7, yeah. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Yeah, the, the, read the full thing, yeah. Of the increase of his government. Increase of his government. And of his, and of his peace. There is no end. The government is upon his shoulder. The government is upon his. And the increase of his government. Shall be no. End. Shall be no and his. 
peace. No end. Meaning, his government will always increase. And how does it increase? Yeah, no, no, no. Read that last portion. The, the, the zeal of the Lord shall perform. Let me ask you in these 2000 years of human history, has the kingdom of God expanded on the earth from Jerusalem? How did it end? Only because of zealous servants of God, not the complacent ones. They were zealous for the Lord, willing to give up anything to see the government of kingdom increased. Not by the lukewarm ones, not by the cold ones, not by the sleepy ones, the zealous ones. That's what I told the pastors yesterday and I always say that every time I go back. Next month I'm in another place. And one of the first things I ask the old ones when I was on a mission trip, circuit trip is that, have, please tell me one thing. Two things I want you to tell me. One, have I lost my zeal? It's been 25 years. Two, have I lost my edge? Only two things I ask. Have I lost my zeal? Because if you have lost your zeal, get it back. Get it back. Because the tragedy of the church is men, women and children who have no zeal. No zeal. The shine has gone. Rust has taken over. They are zealous for the world. They are not zealous for the kingdom. That's a love edition church. Oh! What are you talking about? Look at us. We got everything. We have no lack. God says, do you really know your your lukewarm? You're naked, you're poor, you're wretched. That's your spiritual truth. That's your spiritual truth. You're talking about how you're zealous for all these things and you acquired all these things. But when it comes to the things of God and God and his kingdom, so you're nothing. You're absolutely empty. And you don't even realize if you don't change, I am at the point of speaking you out of my, out of my, you know what it means? To Philadelphia, he said, I'll open the door. To Laodicea, he says, I see a closed door. You close the door to me. To Philadelphia, he says, because you have been faithful to my word and my name, I'm going to open a door no man can shut. You will always have increased and increased and increased access to be my voice. To you, Laodicea, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You will never speak for me. Will never speak for me. My spirit will never give you sanction. Will not stand by you. Philadelphia, you will speak for me. Laodicea, you will not speak for me. You know why? No zeal. It began with no zeal. Rest of the things are mentioned later. No zeal. And we have to go back and ask God and say, Lord, make me zealous. You know to Laodicea what God actually says in Revelation 3.90? Be zealous and be zealous and be repentant. And First Corinthians, Paul has an issue with the church. He writes a tough letter. Second letter, he realizes they are repented and his address to them is what zeal? What zeal? What zeal? Ask God to restore it. Ask God to restore it. We all will grow older and weaker. But zeal shouldn't go. Aging and not being zealous are two different things. I was telling the pastors yesterday. Yesterday was Tuesday, right? Yeah, yesterday I was telling the pastors. The book of Philippians, when Paul is writing, he's lying in prison. The letter to Philip, uh, epistle to Philemon, when he's writing, he's still in prison. They're all written around the same time. In the book of Philippians, he says, I have not achieved yet, forgetting everything. I am pressing on, pressing on, pressing on. Paul will write pressing on. We will sing, we are pressing on. 
Old man lying in prison and saying, spiritually I'm pressing on, I'm sharpening my spirit, I'm pressing on, pressing on, pressing on. But read Philemon chapter 1 and verse 9. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man. I, Paul, an old man. Ah, Little nuggets over there. Who's saying I'm pressing on? Old man. man. Still pressing on. For For what Christ caught hold of me. I'm old. I'm lying in chains. Here, the race has never finished. And never looked back. My zeal has never gone. I'm pressing on. This is the old man. Old man. He himself says he's an old man. Telling the young Timothy, 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 utho, yaar, utho, Timothy. Wake up. Fan back to flames. What is this, Timothy? No zeal at all. I laid hands. I passed on the gift to you. No zeal at all. You have to ask yourself, how is my axe? How is my axe? Is it lost its sharpness? Is it loose in the handle? Loose in the handle? Is it rusty? Has a shine gone? Did I leave it out in the open? Neglected it? Didn't guard it? Didn't protect it? Didn't oil it? Did you leave it like that? That's what happened to Timothy. Neglected. Supernatural gift. Neglected. That's it says, get it back. Get the shine back. Get the shine back. I'll stop there. Because it's already. Pastor Vijay, continue next Wednesday. Okay. Next Wednesday, I'm not here. I'm not here for many, many Wednesdays. Okay. But he will probably continue from there. Okay. You'll continue from there. Okay. You'll continue from there. Before I'll, I'll give a clue where to continue. Okay. So you continue from there. Ecclesiastic 10.10. And you start from there. Yeah. Iron sharpens. No, no, not iron sharpens iron. Yeah. If the iron is blunt. If the iron is blunt. And one does not sharpen. One doesn't sharpen. He must use more strength. You must use more. If you're blunt, you will have to use more strength. But. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Wisdom helps one to succeed. Whatever you are. Whatever you are. Be skillful in it. Be skillful. Bible will say be excellent. Whatever you are, it may be one talent, doesn't matter, one talent. There are one talent man, doesn't matter, you be the best you can be in it. Best. That's the key. God is looking for those things. He's the one who gives the skill. But the point is that, do you want to be skillful? Skillfulness, that wisdom is talking about skillfulness. Skillfulness will bring success, will affect you. You will leave a deep mark in God's history. God's history. That's the first thing God says about the first man of faith. What does he say about Abel? Abel, though he is dead, still he left his mark in history. He left a deep cut in history. Though Abel is dead, he still speaks. Still speaks. Why? Be skillful. Try to be the best. You are not competing with anybody. You are not competing with anybody. Try to be the best you can be in that particular area to whether you are a cook, whether you are a house mother, whatever you are. It doesn't matter what you are. Be the best you can be. That's all God is talking about. Be the best you can be. That's what Paul is telling to Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. Work hard. Work hard, Timothy. So that you can correctly divide the words. Other words, skillfully divide the word and never have to be ashamed. 
never have to be ashamed. Be that. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Be skillful. Be. No, that's what I said. And I was telling, I was telling the pastors yesterday and they were laughing. I said, no, all our young mothers are there. No, a lot of young ladies, mothers are there. If you ask them to make roti, many of them it comes like map of India, map of China, map of, you know why? You have learned how to make roti, but you're not skillful. Cutting wood is like that. You don't hold the, that thing hard. You hold it firmly, but not hard. You don't cut like this. You cut sideways. And if you see a good, excellent woodcutter, he'll make the chips fly like this. Before you know, he's cut the log through. Because he's skillful. In the same way for all the mothers who like to make chapati. First, when you mix the dough, touch it. If it sticks to your hand, too much water. If it's very dry, it won't work. If you put it, the hand should come out. It's correct proportion. Second, when you make your ball and do that to this thing and put it over, Hold the rolling pin lightly. First roll, second roll. After that, when you do it, the whole thing will turn around and turn around. You will get a perfect circle and you will enjoy the look of your chapati, not just the taste. Be skillful. Don't do like crack, crack, crack and here, offering. No, be good in what you do. Be good in what you do. Even if it is making tea. Everybody whom I made tea, they changed their tea. They said, how do you make it? I said, this is how you make it. Only recipe I haven't given is my dal. I said, that I refuse to give. Ask Pastor Vijay. He used to lick, scrape the container and go afterwards to practice. He would ask me, can I have that dish? But I'm not giving the recipe out. Not giving you. I haven't given that recipe out to anybody. Okay, what I'm saying, it doesn't matter. You have to enjoy what you do. That is the main thing. People don't enjoy anything. You have to. Cinema, yes. They enjoy cinema. Okay. Please. There is everything under the sky, I think Jesus did. If he was born in a carpenter's family and father is not mentioned. I believe he did everything. He had to take care of a family. And I believe he did all those things skillfully, reliable, trustworthy, obedient integrity, skillful. So the first time he steps into ministry, there is an issue. From years of practice, the mother runs to him and says, son, you know, there is an issue here because it's a years of practice. This is one kid who handles anything you tell him to do. That's the reason she goes to him. Okay. That's what I want you to be in your workplaces every You have to be so skillful in the middle of everybody and there is an issue. The boss knows who to come to. To come to. In this doesn't matter how many kings came and how many kings went. The kings knew who to go to. They knew, call Daniel. Call Joseph. They can handle it because they were skillful. Be skillful. Okay? See your axis sharp. See your axis fitted nicely. See that you never lose your zeal. And keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. And all those who work in companies, let me tell you. Simple secret. Secret. Or students, go to a class. After the first week, second week from questions and all, you will know who are the good students. Right? Sit next to them. Don't eat, don't sit with the loafer at the back bench. It's a choice you make. Choice. How choices we made when we were in school. Found out who are the smart ones sat next to them. Because something will pass on to you. Go to your company. You know the ones who are good in those process. Sit next to them. It doesn't matter. They don't like you. 
Doesn't matter. You are learning, trying to learn something. Now, when I used to teach English in that college, I had all the English teachers at times from the staff room sitting in chairs outside my class to listen to how I taught. You know? And they were not proud about it. And they, they, were, they were humble. They heard the students speak. This new teacher has come and he's fantastic. So they decided, we need to sit. We can't go sit in his class. So they said, ask the principal, can we sit outside? principal said, go learn. There is no ego in these things. You want to succeed? Sit near skillful people. Pick students who are good in your classroom. Sit next to them. Good smart ones in your office. Sit next to them. They may not like you. Doesn't matter. You say, I like you. I like the way you work. Teach me too. Teach me too. That's how you do stuff. Instead, you know what people do? They will all go sit at the back. The fellow who is throwing these paper balls. And he's listening to cricket commentary at the back. They sit and finally they end up wondering why I never learned anything. It's because you chose. Skill doesn't come automatically. There are a lot of ways in which you become skillful. Walk around with them. Walk around with them and learn from them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this evening we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Lord. We know, Lord, all the things we have heard and you are preparing us has got nothing to do with this world. It's got to do with an eternity where there is no time. When the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords needs servants, sons and daughters to reign in eternity over all his possessions. A universe that is continuously expanding. Galaxies, oh Father, that cannot be even measured. And you are looking for people who are zealous for the Lord whose edges are sharp, who have never lost their zeal, and who are skillful. Because it is written about you in Psalm 78 that you have wrought all these things through your skillful hands, O Lord. If the Father's hands are skillful, the children's hand too need to be skillful because we are your children, Lord. So I pray, Father, today over your children here that that spirit of sloth and laziness will go. That spirit of hard work, the desire to do well, the desire to honor God in every place, every area you are called to, to be zealous, to labor, to work hard, and never to lose the shine. Never lose the shine, Lord. If our spirits are rusted, our souls are rusted, when the Aaronic high priestly blessing is spoken over us, let the Lord face shine upon us. How will we reflect your glory? Because we are rusted. Pray, Father, we never lose our zeal. We never lose, lose our shine. Keep us close to you. Keep us deep in you, Lord. Help us to leave your mark through us in this lifetime. Every one of us. Thank you. Thank you, Father. You brought us safely. Now I pray you reach each one of us safely. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.